Great, so the reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3, um, verses 14 to 21. Um, it can be found on page 1174 of the Blue Church Bibles. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, thanks so much for the uh, warmth of your welcome and for giving Pip and me the chance to be with you today. And for all that you um, do to support the work of um, FIEC, particularly releasing your pastors to work with us, that's a fantastic blessing to us. And it is a sacrifice to you. And I I do want to say uh, thank you. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are a father who loves his family who loves to bring his family together and to share his heart with them. Please, Lord, as we have our Bibles open, please, we ask, would you warm our hearts, uh, set our minds free, and would you speak to us those things you want to say to us today? And we know that if you do, you will be glorified and we will be blessed. Amen. Just going back to that video, I loved the thought of a senior saint speaking about the gospel rampaging through her community. Wouldn't that be fantastic to see the gospel rampaging through the community where uh, you are? Well, come with me to um, Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, you'll notice that this is a prayer about power. Power is what we uh, think about when we want to get something done. Power politics is about leaders who want to get things done. Power dressing is, well, there's a, obviously a display of it in front of you. The sm- getting people to notice you and take you seriously. Power is about getting what we want. And in a fallen world like ours, power is a pretty dangerous thing. When we discover that this passage is a prayer about power, we imagine that Paul must be praying that God would empower him to do some pretty impressive things. Maybe to do some miracles, maybe to plant a church, maybe to silence his critics, whatever it is. Maybe Paul is praying for the power to get things done. But when we explore the prayer, we discover that nothing could be further from the truth. This is not praying that God would use his power so that Paul could could fulfill his, Paul's ministry objectives. He's praying that God would fulfill his, God's ministry objectives. 
And we discover from the context of the letter what God's ministry objectives are. That the brand new Gentile converts in Ephesus would be able to assimilate into the church of Jesus Christ along with their rather more established Jewish brothers and sisters and that together Jews and Gentiles alike will be able to become everything God intends them to be a united, diverse, mature family in which God can live by his spirit. So how does Paul pray that God would use his power? Well, let's look at three dimensions to this uh, prayer. First of all, he prays that we would have the power to enjoy God's presence. Verse 16, look, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Our inner being is simply the the inner self, the control being of our center, the essence of the very people that we are. And Paul is praying that God's power will get right under our skin and invade the very core of our being. To what end? Well, to the end that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. I don't know about you, I think that comes as a bit of an anticlimax, really. I was hoping for something slightly more spectacular. So maybe Christ dwelling in my heart through faith is a little bit of a disappointment. Until I begin to realize what a strong word dwell is. Dwelling conveys the idea of someone taking up permanent residence, someone settling down, someone making a home, not just someone who's a temporary lodger here today, gone tomorrow. I spend a fair amount of my time in hotel rooms. However comfortable they are, they are never, ever home. I'm here today. Gone tomorrow. Before uh, Pip and I moved to Market Harbour, we spent 10 months living with her parents. Just think about that. 10 months living with your mother-in-law. Pretty tricky for both parties. But there was one definite upside. In the whole of that 10 months, I never, ever decorated a room or pulled as much as one weed from the garden. None of this comes as any surprise. Remodeling my mother-in-law's house was really above my pay grade. It wasn't mine to remodel. I was just passing through. When we finally arrived in our new house in Market Harbour, everything changed. Pip galvanized me into organizing rooms, putting up curtain rails, putting up the curtain rails again that had just fallen down, filling cupboards, refilling cupboards, discovering that they were best first time round and filling them again. We were completely taken up with turning this space into our home with our furniture our pictures on the walls and our shoes by the door an empty house was slowly but surely being transformed into our space Now, can you kind of grab that idea and bring that into Paul's prayer here? Because when he prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that's exactly what he's praying for. That Father God would work in you and me and us together so powerfully that Jesus can feel at home here. You know what it means to feel at home. 
You don't worry about what you say. You don't worry about where you sit. You don't worry about what you do. This is your space. And Paul is praying that God would work so powerfully by his spirit that Jesus would be able to say when he walks into your heart, I feel really at home here. One of the things I marvel about at Christmas is the idea that when God sends his best, we can't find anywhere to put him. And we we discover that the the, the very best we can manage is a, a feeding trough. And then I remember that my life's not always a lot cleaner than a feeding trough. My thought life isn't always that clean. My motives aren't always that pure. My words aren't always that sweet. And if it takes a miracle to make a feeding trough fit for the Son of God, it is going to take the same miracle to make my inner being a place that is fit for a king. But that's exactly what Paul's praying for. And wouldn't it be wonderful if there were people here this morning who were praying that prayer for you, that your inner being would be the kind of place where the Lord Jesus can say, I really feel at home here. Power to enjoy God's presence. But Paul is also praying that we would have the power to experience God's love. Come with me on into verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, there's the word again, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now again, this may sound a little bit strange at first hearing. I mean, it's not as though these people don't know anything about the love of God. They're Christians, after all. They're always singing about the love of God, as we have been. They're always hearing sermons about the love of God, as we do. And Paul knows that. In verse 17, he reminds them that they're rooted and established in this love already. But being grounded in it, and grasping the scale of it, are two very different things. I wonder if you could imagine coming with me um, to uh, a cave complex. Not the kind of cave where you need to get down on your hands and knees, but a tourist cavern. Just imagine the guide explaining that this is the biggest underground space in Western Europe. But as she speaks, it's pitch dark. We can't see anything except the tiny pinprick of her torchlight. We are completely unprepared for the moment she throws the switch. And one by one, a great bank of arc lights come on and bit by bit, the sheer vastness of this cavern springs into view. And we literally gasp in astonishment as we take in where we are. We've been standing on the rock of that cavern floor all the time, but we hadn't begun to grasp the size of it. If you know and love the Lord Jesus, you are rooted and grounded in his love already. But how many of us have begun to take in how vast that love really is? That's why Paul calls it the love that surpasses knowledge. I think his point is that though we are never ever going to get to the edge of it, we can enjoy more and more of it. 
A few um, years ago, I had the privilege of visiting Malawi. There were so many things about Malawi I loved. The smiling heart of Africa. But particularly, I loved the night sky. Just look up at night. I'd never seen anything like it. I tried counting the stars. It didn't matter how many I got, how far I got. I knew that the sun was forever beyond me. And God's love's like that. And I think it's not too much of overusing our imagination, is it, in verse 17, to see how the love of God is cross-shaped. It's wide enough to encompass every race and tribe. It's long enough to stretch from eternity to eternity. It's deep enough to reach those who are furthest away from God and high enough to take them to heaven. But listen, it's one thing to be rooted in God's love. It's quite another to grasp how deep that love really is. The old Puritans were absolutely brilliant at talking about spiritual experience. Some of them would talk about a father and a son walking hand in hand through a a wood. And all of a sudden the father would for no reason at all just catch the son up in his arms and hug him. Can you imagine what a hug from heaven would be like? Maybe you've had moments like that in the past, but it's a long time since anything like that happened to you. One of those moments where you felt as if you were seeing it for the first time. Lord Jesus, you really do love me. If that hasn't happened for a while, remember this is a prayer. Don't don't be embarrassed to pray this prayer again. But maybe there's someone here this morning who's saying, well, I hear what you say, but to be perfectly honest, I've never experienced anything like this, and I'm not even sure if I expect to. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't have x-ray eyes, and I can't see into your heart, which is a good thing for you and for me. It might just be that you've been deeply, deeply hurt, and now you just feel terribly buttoned up because you don't want to be hurt again. Wouldn't this be a wonderful prayer for you to pray? Or could it be that one reason that you don't know the love of God like this is because you're trying to look in from the outside? It won't be so long before we're thinking not about Halloween and things, but Christmas and things. And just come with me to a Christmas day. It's cold. The wind is whipping through the trees. The snow is falling from the sky and you look in through the window and you see the family gathered around the fire you can see the smiles you can feel the fun and yet where you are it is very cold and dark and the reason is because you're outside and it's going to stay that way until you come in The lovely thing is that Father God wants you to come in this morning. Don't stay out in the cold, but he's here with arms wide open, just inviting people to come. And he wants you to come. This isn't an experience he wants to talk to you about. This is an experience he wants you to share. He wants to show you the extent of his love.
But thirdly, in this prayer, we see Paul wrestling before God that, that we would know the power to exhibit his glory. Look at the way the prayer ends, with some words that are pretty memorable, aren't they? To him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. How do you think we should describe glory? Well, I don't know, I think maybe at the simplest it is God putting his character on display so all of us can get to see what he's like. I think that's what glory is. God putting his character on display so we can all get to see what he's like. It's the ultimate goal of all creation. To display the glory of God. We, we see it in a sun rising over the, over a crystal sea. We, we see it in a snow-tipped peak set against an azure sky. But in a fallen world, where does God choose to display his glory most clearly? And the answer may come as a bit of a shock. He displays his glo- glory most clearly right here in the church I guess a football illustration is inevitable so let's get it over with as an Ipswich Town fan this is going to hurt Uh, Man United fans tell me that the club is back where it belongs just wrestling for top spot in the premiership imagine we're doing a a kind of guided tour uh, around Old Trafford Think back to the glory days before um, Jose Mourinho and Louis van Gaal and David Moyes. Think back to the longest serving, most celebrated coach to lead Man United, Sir Alex Ferguson, heralded as one of the greatest and most successful coaches of all time. Where do you think we would see the glory of Sir Alex most clearly? Well, we could see it by visiting the trophy room and just taking in the weight of the silverware. Well, without doubt, the silverware, 38 trophies, I think it was, in 26 years. That's a, a, some measure of the glory of the man. But if you really want to see the glory of Sir Alex, you don't go to the trophy room, you go to the video suite. And you watch the team playing as only they could play at their best. Do you know, it's not that different from the way God works. We could walk, as it were, the trophy room of heaven and look at photo after photo after photo of people that the Lord Jesus has been delighted to save. And I pray your photo would be there. That's one way of seeing the glory of God. But there's another way. You can see it right here. Look at verse 10 with me. Can you sort of slip back to Ephesians 3 verse 10? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And here is Paul. He's picturing the whole heavenly host looking down. And when they see the church, Jew and Gentile, now being brought together in the Lord Jesus, they are awestruck. Nothing displays the genius of God quite like the church. When the heavenly hosts look down and see the way we deal with our rivalries and our disputes, the way they see us dealing, caring for our sick and our needy, though they see the way wives and husbands live together in sacrifice and submission, they can hardly believe their eyes. Why? Because they are witnessing the glory of God. 
See, what really reveals God's glory is not just the trophy room in heaven. It's us playing the game here on earth. When we live in unity and love, when we share our griefs and our sorrows, when we speak for him and stand for him in the midst of a difficult world, when we face trouble and we don't lose our footing because of the Lord Jesus, when we honor one another for all our differences simply because we love Jesus, when we serve coffee with a smile, when we reach out to someone in church, when we speak a kind word, when we think an unkind word and choose not to say it, the glory of God is seen. But hey, is this possible? I mean, to be honest, is this possible in any church that I am part of? Well, look at verse 20 again. Remember, this is a prayer about power. To him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Oh yes, he's got the power. But do you notice how he does it? Verse 20 again. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now you'd expect God to reveal his glory in his son, wouldn't you? But in us? Yes, in us, but not in us on our own. In us, in relationship with him. This is a bit of a sad admission, but one of my film favourite films is Love Actually. That is quite sad, isn't it? I shouldn't say that, really. <clears throat> not publicly. But one of the 12 little um, sort of vignettes that are woven into the, the plot of Love Actually is of this photographer who takes these wedding photos. And when he prints them off, he suddenly realizes he's only ever taken pictures of the bride. He, he daren't hand them on because the groom's going to wonder where he was. And uh, the reason that he's only ever taken pictures of the bride is because he thinks she's the most beautiful girl in the world. Well, you'll have to watch the film, but... The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus never wants us to appear on our own. It's, it's in him and with him. And through him and for him that the glory of God is revealed in the church. It's in Jesus that we enjoy God's presence and experience God's love and exhibit his glory. And all of this helps us to see why church matters so much. Church is not a club for the religiously minded. Church is a living outcrop of heaven on earth. Just think for a moment, would you, about a TV ad that really grabs your attention. Some of you are looking fairly blank. What makes a good ad? Well, I think... A good ad is an advertisement that makes you think, that makes you laugh, and that makes you look again. Now think about church. The thought of men and women, young and old, black and white, richer and not quite so rich, all living together, in unity 
enjoying their diversity and growing in maturity should make people think and smile and look again. So come back over this passage with me as we close. Enjoying God's presence, experiencing his love, exhibiting his glory. Does that remind you of anybody? It should remind you of Jesus. And does it remind you of anywhere? It should remind you of heaven. And we get to see what Paul is praying for, that we will become more like Jesus and we will be a foretaste of heaven. If you ever sense that life here in Long Crendon Baptist Church begins to stall or become a bit stale, here is a brilliant prayer to pray. Please, Lord, would you give us the power to enjoy your presence again? Would you give us the power to experience your love more deeply? And would you enable us to exhibit your glory more clearly? And don't forget to follow Paul's example. This is what he's praying for his mates in Ephesus. It would be brilliant if this is what you were praying for your mates here. Thanks so much for listening. Why don't we pray? Father God, this is a huge prayer for us to think about today. But Lord, it's not just revealing what's in Paul's heart, it's revealing what's in yours. You inspired that prayer in him. And thank you that you answered it. Please, would you inspire that prayer in us? And would you answer it so that men and women and boys and girls in this community and beyond can begin to experience something of the presence of God, the love of Jesus, and the glory of the Holy Spirit. And we ask all of this, Father God, for your honour. Amen.